Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standig Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standig, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. It is Wednesday evening here in the nation's capital. Uh, I was out in Ashburn today for OTAs, the one day this week that we are out there to watch practice. And I didn't just watch practice. I talked during practice with my guys Pete Haley from NBC Sports Washington and Matt Paris from the Washington Times. We talked for about 20 minutes while practice was occurring. We were on the sidelines. We're watching all the things occurring right in front of us. You'll hear that you'll hear the players are we're not that far away from where we were standing. And at one point they had a couple of them ran right up to where we were. Uh, but a fun conversation. We we first started with some of the talk of the day from Ron Rivera, uh, particularly about the fact that they had a mic on Sam Howe. So the point is, this isn't for some bit for television. This is to hear him, how he's handling the huddle, how he's calling the plays, how he's interacting with getting with the other teammates, getting everyone in proper position. Uh, this is something Ron Rivera did uh, he or he recalls being done when he was playing for the Bears many moons ago. So or, or, or earlier in his coaching career. So this is notable in that it, it, it just it's a different way to look at it uh, to to help Sam Howe. In any event, we talked about that. We talked about some of the things that were happening right in front of us. Cole Turner, uh, Emmanuel Forbes. We talked about players that, that we're looking at as possible uh, sleepers and a whole bunch more. Really fun conversation and a a way to break up practice, and also a way to sort of focus on some things and, and give some immediate reaction. So you will hear that uh, in its entirety in a few minutes. In addition, I just got done a conversation with our friend Joe House from The Ringer. Joe is, of course, a Commanders fan. So I got his view from the outside is, hey, where are we at with this you know, ownership situation? How stressed is with Joe being in the voice of the fan you stressed that this hasn't happened yet. What is going on here? Why is it taking so long? Uh, and then, of course, because Joe is Joe and we talk whenever he comes on, we end up talking Wizards. We did talk about the Wizards new hire of Michael Winger as president of basketball operations. What do we think of that? Um, by the way, we also talked a bit about Josh Harris uh, using uh, Joe's uh, v- a guy who talks about the NBA a lot uh, on the ringer. Uh, we talked about what have we seen from the Sixers that is potentially good or bad regarding Josh Harris and these uh, commanders. So a lot about that, about the Wizards, got a little NBA finals talk in the end, made Joe make a prediction as well. So just threw out a lot at you, a lot to get to here. We'll do it in a moment on the Standard Room Only podcast, which of course you can find on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you do your podcasting. Hit that subscribe button and also, if you don't already, follow me on Twitter at Ben Standig. Um, all right, before I get to all of that, let's just go through a few things that happened at practice today. First off, just to for those wondering, Chase Young, Montez Sweat, Charles Leno, all still absent. None of them were there today, so they will have missed uh, the whole OTA situation. Uh Jamin Davis seemed to be doing a little bit more. Not he wasn't doing any team drills, but just seemed to be doing a little bit more with with the linebackers. Of course, he had a knee procedure. Ron Rivera told us about last week, um, so he's coming along. And you know, for me, he's there by training camp. That should be uh, plenty. Um, 
Casimir Allen, who's a really fun, interesting player uh, from a uh, punt returner perspective. He did not practice with a hamstring injury. We talk more about him with Matt and Pete in a bit. In terms of what we did see out there, obviously you all want to talk about, you want to hear about Sam Howe, understandable. Um, I think today we saw an example of where where it is when you have a talented young player who lacks experience, the ups and the downs of that circumstance. The good stuff is that I thought Sam Howe had some really nice throws down the field. He threw a perfect dime to Cole Turner running down the right sideline. He threw a dart over the middle to Jahan Dodson. He connected with Dodson later in the end zone, despite some good coverage from Derek Forrest. Uh, I, I thought he, he had a nice lob pass uh, to Bowers, one of the um, undrafted free agents who's 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 here. Uh, I, I thought Sam Howell had some really interesting throws, and you know the arm strength is there. This is you know no disrespect to anybody else who's been here before, but you can really see that 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 arm strength, and it's good. Uh, Good to see, and we'll see what happens with that. All with that, um, you know, what the offense can do with that down the line. But you also saw the downside, and that is, he looked, uh, he, he was not very uh, strong with some of the underneath throws. Uh, he was intercepted on one play. Juan Martin, the second round pick, of course, out of Illinois, had a tip ball. Cody Barton, the new linebacker, dove. To, to make that play. There were a couple other passes that were, you know, you never know how an interception could go, but there were some close to that. I think Emmanuel Forbes um, w- was involved. He had a, a couple of pass deflections as well. So look, I think with how it's going to be this constant up and down. Now talking to somebody who was at the practice yesterday, meaning Tuesday, no media, it apparently looked better on some of those underneath throws. And this is why, I I don't want to get I don't want to get caught up on observations because we're only seeing a limited amount of this work and plus it's OTAs they're trying things out it's not like you know it's not a real eleven on eleven practice and even for practice practice you know it's sort of it's not not a game let alone a full blown practice like we'll get in training camp or maybe even in mini camp uh, next week but anyway I think Sam Howell looked good um, I wrote of course today about that situation where they had him mic'd up uh, in practice. The point of all that is him taking command of the huddle. So you can go read that on the athletic. Uh, some so got some comments from Brian Robinson, uh, Ron Rivera as well. Um, so that's, that's that. I, I think I'm, we're not going to do a um, horse race here every week between Hal and Brissett. But right now, it seems pretty apparent that they're going to give Howe all the opportunities. They've been stating this, but nothing has changed from what I've seen in practice to suggest that Brissett is vying for that starting job now. And as long as Howe gives Biennemi and Rivera reason to think that he you know, is w- worth starting, then he presumably would start. Um, who, what else can I tell you? Um, I mentioned Emmanuel Forbes. In the, in the three practices we've seen him, so rookie camp, and then two OTAs, boy, he really looks good. I mean, he is right there seemingly on almost every throw that comes his way. Uh, He had a really nice uh, pass breakup on a throw to Jahan Dodson, kind of on a a little bit of a slant over the middle. He was right there. He and Terry McLaurin had some fun battles. 
I think he is really looking to be, um, you can just see the instincts at least. We'll say that much. Uh, so I think I, he is right on top of these throws, and I, I've been really impressed with him. Quan Martin as well today had a couple of pass breakups. I, I thought he has he has done a nice job for sure. And again, it's May. I'm not going to go too crazy, but it's not it's not hard to re, to, to see both of these guys being high in the rotation in the secondary. Which again, we already knew that, but like we don't know. Like, are they going to go with more three safeties? If they do, then that would presumably mean Martin in that slot role. And I would probably guess Forbes outside with Kendall Fuller. So, um, you know, it could possibly be they could both be primary starters, as it were, when we get down the line. So uh, good looks out of those two guys for sure. Um, I talked a little bit about this with Joe House, but I just I'll, I'll mention it here at the top as well. With regards to the offense, it is very, it, it feels in many ways very remedial right now with what we're seeing. Now, part of that is because Eric Bieniemy is very uh, aggressively pointing out flaws and mistakes happening in real time. Uh, they could be things like he, he, he made Brian Robinson at one point redo his, he went in motion as a receiver. He, he made him redo that. Uh, a couple of times they made the offense redo the whole play again a couple of times in part because of what where Robinson was having some struggles there also had some issues Robinson did it, it with some of the blocking um techniques I, I I didn't mention here I don't think that but Antonio Gibson wasn't really a factor in practice today he was on the bike doesn't I don't think it's an issue I just think he was I don't want to say a rest day because that sounds like you know we're kind of early uh, in this process, but a little bit of a, of a, of a rest day, uh, whatever. So, um, so Robinson was getting a lot of work, but then Jonathan Williams ended up playing a bunch as well out of the backfield and Robinson. We then talked to him today um, after practice and you could tell it was a young guy, a bit frustrated, I think with trying to learn this playbook. I, I, I think there was some legit frustration on his, Part. And I think we're going to see that from a lot of these guys uh, over the course of this summer. Uh, learning a new offense is not easy, uh, you know, and they're having to do it from scratch. And like I said, the enemy, you know, I, I, I'm sure Scott Turner got on them at points or other coaches did as well. But, you know, it's happening in real time in front of everybody. And, you know, uh, that, that I, I imagine that for some all these guys have had taskmasters for a coach at some point, I'm sure, in their career. But nonetheless, it can be, um, you know, it can be a little embarrassing, I would imagine. But also, they just want to get it right, right? These guys are used to being uh, excellent at what they do. And there's got to be some like, ugh, how come I can't get this? And, and I think we sensed a little bit of that with Robinson today. Again, not not a huge deal, but... That is where we are right now with this team learning this new offense. It is just step by step by step. Uh, there's not a ton of fluidity out there yet. That will come in time. And again, training camp to me would be the the, the goal for when things need to start looking um, a little crisper than they have been so far. But again, there's some good things. As I mentioned, Cole Turner has looked strong again on another OTA where he has looked good. That six six frame. Uh, making plays down the field. 
you know, could be a big weapon for these guys if he can stay healthy. Uh, Curtis Hodges caught a, a touchdown pass from Jacoby Brissett. It was a low throw for the for anybody, let alone the six foot eight player. And he was able to get down and uh, corral the ball before it hit the ground. Uh, so there's that. Uh, and who I'm trying to think who else to tell you about. Well, we'll have more to discuss here uh, this week. Um, the Coaches and coordinators will all be talking to us on Thursday, not Ron Rivera, but all the assistants. So we'll have a chance to get some more insight from those guys on all the players we just discussed and those that we did not. Um, All right. Jam show. Let's get to it. I'll start with uh, myself, Matt Paris and Pete Haley talking about practice while practice is going on. And then Joe house and I will get into the sale, Josh Harris lessons we think we've learned from him owning the 76ers. And then we'll talk some Wizards and NBA Finals as well. Jammed episode. Here we go on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right. Uh, as I said in the intro, did part of this podcast while practice is going on. I'm not really sure. I, I feel like I'm talking golf announcer voice here for a second. Um, maybe it's a good idea. The players aren't exactly right on top of us, but they're around. You'll hear the background noise. Uh Pete Haley, Matt Paris are with me here uh, to break it all down. What we're doing is something like a, I wouldn't say a quiet segment, but this is like sort of more special. special. Going on. Yeah, this is not the fun stuff of the uh, quarterbacks aren't throwing the ball, things like that. So maybe we'll get lucky and that'll happen here in a few minutes. Uh, first of all, gentlemen, thank you for doing this. You feel like you're, this is going to be one of those moments in time people will say, wow, remember that, that first time somebody recorded a, a podcast at practice? It's fun to be on the forefront of the media wave and just to be changing the game with you all. When I think of game changers, I think of Paris and Standing. Right. Breaking well, barriers, the Ben Standing story. Yeah. That's the title, your autobiography. That's, uh, I, I, I like it. Uh, that, that or hacked, because that's been a lot going on the last uh, few days. Um, all right. But we'll get to what's going on here in a minute, and we'll do some maybe even live uh, bits if they get back into uh, full uh, drills here. But Ron Rivera already talked today. Um, I don't know if it was anything particularly earth-shattering, but biggest takeaway, Pete Haley, from whatever Ron Rivera said today for you was what? I'm going to leave the secondary discussion to Paris because I think that's where he specializes. My takeaway, Ben, you okay? Allergies. Hanging in there. Um, it's not really impactful, and I'm sure it's just something that, like adds color to stories, but hearing that they have Sam Howell mic'd up at quarterback I think is pretty unique. I don't know how many other teams do this, but I don't think it's ever been done in Washington before. And it makes a lot of sense. Instead of standing next to the huddle and only be able to hear him make a call once, you know, the, this sport is all about going back and watching and watching and watching. Now you can go back and listen, listen, listen to how he's handling things, how he's discussing things with teammates, making adjustments at the line. So I think that's a very smart and easy, but smart thing to do with your young quarterback. No, I think that's what sticks out too. I, you know, we can get to the secondary. I thought that was interesting what he had to say there. But the mic'd up comments definitely uh, stood out. He mentioned that they did something similar in Chicago when he was there. Now, Rex Grossman was the quarterback in Kyle Orton, They're so probably just like, what the <laughs> hell is Rex saying that is ending up with these plays? So I don't know how successful that tactic was for them. But, you know, part of me uh, is wondering how much we're focusing on Sam Howell's leadership and all the responsibilities. It kind of reminds me of... Dwayne's first year under Ron in 2020, so much was made of his kind of off the work, off the field work, or his growth, quote unquote, as a leader, and it didn't ultimately translate to games. And 
you know, you, you don't want to knock a guy like that. But I'm just wondering how much on-field um, growth are we seeing from Sam Howell, too? And that's kind of what we're out here to see. So, like, I, I don't, I'm sure when you guys have had the same issue, if you go on, or not issue, but you go on, you've gone on radio over the last week or so, or, you know, talk to your friends or whomever. And that people ask, well, you guys are my friends. Yeah. Fair, fair enough. We're talking now, Ben. <laughs> what do you mean? Fair, fair enough. And people inevitably ask, so how did Sam Howell look? Or pick right. any other player. And I'm, I've, I've just reached a point where I'm like, look, I even basically wrote this the other day. I, I'm not going to lie to you. This, it, we only have seen, even after today, we'll have seen two of the eventual six OTA sessions to say just anything. What if the guy has a really good day or has a bad day? That does not indicate necessarily what is happening. We need more things to develop when we get to mini camp and it's three days and then obviously training camp will be different. But I think you're you're right. I think for, for me with how the main point is the leadership component. Because if they don't believe, we, the, the rest of it is not going to matter. I mean, that was ultimately, you know, one of the big elements, of course, of Taylor Heineke, that, that they seemingly believe. I don't know, know that they played harder but i do think there's something to be said for we know this guy is gonna go for it and he's you know the pylon diving and whatever so i, I do think there's something to that and that, that has been harped on uh a lot so far the one thing i do comment to people when they ask me about practice is the enemy yeah. um oh, we, ha- yeah. we, we had it again today i saw paris he tweeted it out yeah. what was one of his uh, lines today it was simple shit this is the <laughs> shit that wins games he made brian robinson redo a pre-snap motion and then after they did it correctly, they made him run it again. It's just, it is simple stuff, but it is really impressive just kind of how detail-oriented you can hear him being uh, on the practice field. And, you know, maybe Scott Turner was that detail-oriented in film sessions or, or whatever the stuff we didn't see. But to actually be able to see it and hear it, I do think it gets players' attention. And uh, another example was he pointed out a tight end. I think it was John Bates but not being in a three-point stance, and before the snap, uh, he made him get uh, down in the correct stance. So it, it's just, it, it's kind of impressive to me. Huh? Maybe we're making too much of it. But. No, I, I think there will be a point where the enemy observations will subside, we'll get used to it. But yeah, I mean, he's he was hard on them last week. I feel like he's raised it even an extra level today. And sure, uh, none of it will matter if Sam Howell does not pan out, but I think there is a good balance with the coach where it's a guy who has a lot of energy, and not that you need to fear him, but, like, if I do something wrong, I'm going to hear about it. And I don't know if that was there with Scott. Maybe he did it in the meeting rooms or something. But out here, like, it's not fun to have to be yelled at in any profession. The enemy is yelling at guys, and it gets your attention, and it makes you want to do things properly. It would be a good, like, this is Sports Center bit if, like, the enemy came into the media room and he looks over my shoulder, standing, yeah. we told you, less than a thousand words. What are you doing? You know, like, that, 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 that would be, maybe we can Ben, all... you don't need another coffee. Sit down and write your effing story. Right. You get off of Twitter. Right. Um, I, I will note here, uh, we've got the offense is now down in front of us. The receivers. You want to go see Sam Howell? Just to get better room. Paris oh. is on the move. Okay, so we've got the receivers. And defensive backs now going a little one-on-one. It's a, it's a Jacoby Brissett, Jake Fromm throwing at this end. On the other side of the field is Sam Howe throwing to the tight ends and running backs. Um, speaking of some of the playmakers, uh, noticed Antonio Gibson was on the bike for a little bit. And uh, we didn't tweet this out because we didn't want to be alarmist, but we did see Curtis Samuel go for a catch on the sideline, did the toe tap, got his feet in, but then he kind of came up a, 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 a tick gimpy, seemed to be 
laboring, but then to his credit, he came right back on the field. He's out here right now. It looks like he's about to do anything. So just noting that some growth there, Pete. No, uh, no side field for Curtis. No Curtis side field. It looked like we were headed for it. He was grimacing. He was bent over for a while. Ron was talking to him. We were about ready to go into full panic, but alas, he came back. Looks fine. So just maybe jam something, stuff something. But it's it's nice that I was just gonna comment how nice it is to not be on Curtis watch every day. And I think we still are off it, but it's a reminder. It can change it a moment's notice. Well, there was a moment last year where he, like, kind of tumbled and got up slowly. And I asked him about it later, and he was like, I just don't think people are used to watching me in practice. <laughs> like, yeah. this is kind of how I just am. I, I fall over, I get up, like, hey, yeah, it's normal. So, you know, as long as it worked for him, and he's out here running a crisp route on Kendall Floor, and he missed the catch. But, you know, <laughs> Um, well, so you, you you guys teased earlier about the secondary. Right now they're doing like a three-on-three drill, and you've got Fuller, St. Juice, and Forbes all out there together. Um, I, I presume what you guys want to comment on was that Rivera said that they have tried out Forbes and St. Juice in the slot and not Fuller. Um, do, why does that stand out to, to you guys? Um, I, I think I just assumed when they acquired Fuller, I mean, acquired Forbes, that Fuller would make sense as the inside guy, as the guy who had the most experience. And because BSJ tried it out there last year, and when William Jackson was like, oh, damn, man, you let me go like that, um, it worked out much better for Benjamin St. Juice. So I thought, okay, they tried St. Juice inside. They saw the results weren't great. And then on the outside, he was really uh, a good player. So um, to hear that Fuller is the mainstay on the outside, St. Juice and Forbes are getting inside reps, and don't forget Quan Martin's there. They have other players, but it just it caught me a little off guard, and I'm interested to see how that works out because, again, I thought, you know, St. Juice trying him in the slot, it, it makes sense with some of his skills, but he just seems like a totally different player. So if we're going back to that well, I'm going to be ready to question it if it doesn't go properly. Um, obviously, you know, you guys are you know, on top of everything that goes on on the beat and elsewhere. You're reading a lot of things, you're hearing a lot of stuff, you can't remember everything. Uh, I did write a couple weeks ago that I talked to Ron at uh, the owners meeting and asked specifically about what is the plan with Fuller. And he said they would like to leave it such they like what him what he's on the outside would like to leave it him there and figure out the rest. Now, to that end, that's why the drafting of Forbes. Quan Martin makes a play on the ball. Yes. Um, very nice play. Um, I, but anyway, so that's why I was a little surprised by Forbes because he was a guy that was had n- virtually no experience playing in the slot. And to your point, so I think St. Hughes just looked better, uh, you know, on the outside last year. Now, of course, Ron also mentioned the guy you just noted who made a player, Quan Martin, is clearly a guy they plan to use in that slot. So we still don't know. Like, there could be more three corner or three safety looks. Um, but right there, gave a good uh, example, Matt, of uh, why they kind of like the guy. Yeah, and I think going back to Fuller, I, I think. Honestly, we confuse his first Washington stint where he was so effective uh, as a slot this corner. This is a very good angle to take, Paris. That, you know, he's not that same player anymore. Like, when he played in the slot, his what, it was his second year in, in Washington, those first uh, whatever games before they kicked him back to the outside, he was a bit of a disaster, honestly. I need to make sure I'm not talking too loud so he doesn't hear me and come over and punch me. But uh, <laughs> That would make some good podcasting. <laughs> 
you know, well, not really, because it's an audio medium. You would need to film this. We'll hear, we'll hear your squ- yeah, we'll, we'll hear, hear your screams, <laughs> right? You'll hear uh, us laughing. No, like no, I can, I can take a beating silently, though. Oh <laughs> my god! Wow. <laughs> Just make your point. Uh, anyway, no, so you know, I, I do get why they're trying Benjamin St. Juice there. I thought he was okay last year as a slot corner. He was much better on the outside, but uh, it's Forbes I'm more surprised at trying to be on the inside just because he I don't think he did that in college no. he's you know he, I guess he's tall enough or short enough to do it depending on how you look at it he has long arms but I don't know he's so effective on the outside forcing turnovers if they want him to create turnovers like he has if he can he still use those instincts learning a new position or is moving him to a newer position oh Dax Milne with a thrilling one-handed catch running towards the sidelines. That was a very nice play. <laughs> and that is uh, Rashad Wild Goose providing some colorful commentary after getting beat on the route. Yes, that was. This is this is what you don't get on the uh, you know. This is actually the perfect time to do this. Right, right. This is a uh, this this breaking is, breaking boundaries of Ben Sanders. Right. Well, probably or barriers. What did I say earlier? Barriers. Barriers. Yes. We're breaking it all. <laughs> breaking it all down. Breaking it all, etc. Um, should note, Cam Curl is here, but it does not look like he is participating in the team drills, which is what happened last week, and not that surprising considering the contract situation and. Um, Ron Rivera kind of reiterated more or less that they're still waiting on ownership before anything is going to be d- done on that front or whatever. He said they have a plan, but the opposite, they have to wait for ownership uh, to see. Um, I did ask Ron today because yesterday they made a couple of moves, nothing particularly exciting, but they added a couple of guys for depth. If Does this waiting for ownership prevent them from signing? Uh, no offense to uh, Brandon Dillon, but like a, a player with more experience, he's done more. He said... Probably he's like if, if if it came to that we actually had to do something, we would, you know, maybe would have to go run up the flagpole to, to the Snyder's. Uh, do you think uh, the two positions I'm wondering about are tight end and, and uh, guard? Ooh, that was a nice who threw that pass. That was Sammy Howell. Ooh, that was who? Uh, that is a uh, oh 84. I just Darvin Kinsey. No, yeah, Zion Bowers. That was a really <laughs> nice pass by Sam Howell over the top uh, to the receiver in stride running down the field. Um. I don't. I personally think like they can wait till training camp. But right now it's just about the, the like the basics. That, you know they don't have to go crazy. I I still need to see a lot more to both tight end and the guards situation before I would say that they don't have to do anything. Uh, Rivera seemed to say they don't at this point, which is fine. What, what, what is there any one spot for you guys? You're like, hey, if I, if I can get one waiver here that I, I can put some money towards something, I would go sign X. I think it'd be left guard for me. I just I don't trust the Sadiq Charles Chris Paul combo. I think Charles's career here is probably well maybe should be winding down. I wouldn't say probably because he's getting starters reps right now, and Chris Paul would probably be best served with another uh, season of seasoning. So I would love for them to find not an Andrew Norwell, or Trey Turner, but a better veteran guard who gets released somewhere. That's where I'm at. Cause the offensive line, they they de-emphasize linebacker, and they have enough bodies at tight end. I don't know if they're any good, but. Left guard, let's let's fortify that a little more, please. Uh, Pete was uh, that was a great answer from Pete, considering he was getting harassed by uh, another podcaster who will be remain nameless. Um, Paris, here's my thing with the tight end spot. So they add Brandon Dillon. That's their fifth tight end. Yes. The fourth tight end is a guy who played didn't play last year. 
The third tight end, who obviously Cole Turner has an interesting guy, but he had two catches last year. The first tight end is a guy who's, you know, like the the, the, the team account tweeted out yesterday. He, Logan Thomas made a catch and said he's in midseason form, and I'm not going to be a jerk, but, like, I guess I will be. But his midseason form last year was hurt or limited. So I, I still feel like they need something there. And, and after losing Armani Rogers, as, right, as I say that, yeah, Sam was that Sam Howell throws a perfect. Did he just give you the middle finger after oh, the two back? I think he's I I am I'm, I'm down here. Cole Turner's run by. He is. I'll wait for a second here, but this is a compliment. He's been a fantastic practice player, and that is, you know, that's been the 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 path of Cam Sims and others, and it's frustrating when it doesn't carry over. But I think their excitement over Cole Turner might be a little justified if he can get on the field. He's always making catches. 100%. My, my, each each spot, you could justify the existence. It's just the totality of it. There's no proven vet. There's no tight end they drafted in the second round who last year caught 25 passes. Maybe he can get to 50. And that, that's my only thing. That's why I'm saying maybe you have to add uh, somebody who could legitimately uh, be on the team. Sam Howe scrambling, and he throws it oh, away. Charlie oh, Char- PR. PR gets a gets your hands on the ball. Russell there. couldn't quite get his hands there as a deflection. He was too busy tweeting. Is that a catch or a drop? <laughs> Paris trying for stick. <laughs> yes, going for stick. Air ball. Uh, yeah. Don't worry, I'll have a thousand more attempts. <laughs> all right, I'm going to ask you guys this. I'm springing this on you. I'll, I'll give my answer first. So you have a moment to think. We all like to have. He was the guy that we, you know, the, the the unsung guy here in camp that we all like to point to. I get mentioned for Danny Johnson and Cam Sims often. When, because uh, I talked about them when they were nobodies, more or less. And, you know, to a degree, that all kind of worked out in the sense that they've stuck around. I'll give you mine. I don't think this is, like, a big shocker at the moment. Although he's not out here today. I don't know why. But Casimir Allen, uh, the receiver, running back, returner from from UCLA. I mean, when I first saw that they signed him and I saw what he was all about, uh, you know, setting high school records for most touchdowns in a season, uh, the gadget guy, knowing that kind of what the enemy wants, that is a guy that I'm definitely keeping an eye on. And then, then Ron Rivera cites him by name um, at rookie camp. So that to me is a guy that you know I'm really gonna uh, sort of latch onto here and see uh, what I think he can do. How about for you, Paris? Do you have a guy that you are ready to uh, plant your flag on? You or Mr. Paris is famous for Tory McTire. He is. Um, do you have any other calls? Oh, oh ball batted oh. up. Interception. That would be reviewed, and it might have hit the ground, but the defenders certainly aren't caring about that. A tip pass, Cody Barton, with the very nice dive. and I'm going to say he caught it, you know. Well, let's be optimistic. Yeah, yeah, I'm being such a nerd rule follower. Yeah. Paris, who's your next? I'm going to go with Allen as well, but I don't want to feel like copycat. You know, I, you, you are. That's I'm going to okay. call you out. We were talking about this earlier off mic, and you said Jalen oh. Sample. You oh. changed your... No, no. Changed I, your... And that's going to be my answer, so I'm bitter at you, too. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. No, I, I, said, I said he might be. I said Allen was already there. Yeah, and, okay. I, and also, to be honest, like I think Allen, it almost feels... And this is obviously incredibly stupid because nothing's happened yet, but I almost feel like Allen's like, too obvious um, yeah. because like you know, I put him on... I did a... 53 the other day not to really do one but just to talk about the team and i made him as the six receiver returner um but yes jalen sample was the other guy i, I don't I, I don't know if there's room unless he just beats out marcus kemp as the tall guy but he's looked interesting to me for sure but that's interesting that we all are sort of on the same wavelength I, i'm gonna yeah i'm gonna cop out and wait until training camp because that's when i that's when the mctire bandwagon for me really got caught going on and i need to see him in pads but <laughs> you know me yeah you know Pad i miss paris <laughs> patty paris over here 
I'll, I'll do Jalen Sample. I think Ben is right on, of course, because Allen has the return abilities. This team has ignored that spot for a while. Uh, and I also like that in your story, Ben, that you cited Milne had the most punt returns in the NFL last year. I think that's a funny statistic. But Sample, where he stands Paul out. Paul Turner, again, This the ball was not perfectly thrown. This is from Bursette, but he, because he's a really, really tall guy, was able to jump, adjust, catch it, uh, falling down. Very nice play. Hey, there was that week before. So there was that week last year with Carson Wentz where he just looked, Really, it was Antonio uh, Gates. He, he was. It yeah, was 85. And then he hurt his hamstring like the week after, and all that momentum just disappeared. Yeah, OTAs last year. Got back on track. Cole Turner was great. Then right as training camp started, uh, there was a player kind of right in front of us. He got hurt. It was that kind of derailed the uh, the whole situation. By the way, I will say that I'm kind of intrigued to watch Curtis Hodges because I do think yeah, at six eight, like, uh, and he and he is kind of a fluid a fluid receiver. But you know, again, he just hasn't played, so that's why it's a a bit of a risk. Um, all right, well, I'm going to let everybody go back to watching practice. Any final thoughts, um, Pete, from you? Uh, anything uh, you want to? You're going to keep an eye on, on the rest of. Uh, I'm going to keep summer? an eye on your uh, your skincare. You you just completely rejected sunscreen today. <laughs> Paris and I put it on. So if right. you start wrinkling or you know getting sunburned, I'm going to going to rush over and try and help you out. Look, I won't put it on you, but I will encourage you to put it on yourself. Sam Fortier just gave a look over here to say, what is Pete Haley talking about? Um, <laughs> yeah, look, I think it's been clear made over the last week that I need a lot of uh, help and attention, so I appreciate that. <laughs> Paris, how about for you? Just take my warning side. One time I didn't wear sunscreen during training camp, and uh, Phillips called me Neapolitan ice cream how I looked the next day. So wow. uh, well, make sure to... Once, well, once again, this is the only stuff you're going to get on this podcast, <laughs> suntan lotion care. Play-by-play coverage mixed in. Yeah. All right, gentlemen, appreciate really the time. Really fun, Ben, really fun. Good luck with your show. Thank you. Thanks, Ben. That was really good. Well, yeah, I like the, uh, we got the good mix in with the play-by-play. During the live period. Yeah. And it helped pass the time, too. I feel like I actually watched it this way. All right, we're going to keep talking a little bit about the Commanders and then dive into some NBA Wizards talk with a guest who uh, I so was uh, happy to that he was going to join me. I put in, I, I started sucking on a breath mint, even though we're doing this over Zoom. <laughs> Don't ask me why. Uh, he is uh, from the ringer Joe House. Uh, my guy, you this is your time of year to sh- NBA. Uh, the, 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 the football stuff is starting to get going because, you know, you got teams are, you know, they've made a bunch of moves. You can start looking at odds. You got golf is in full swing. This is a lot going on for you, I bet. You're right about all the above. I'm just worried about why you think you need fresh breath to get on with me. I just don't understand it, Ben. Uh, you know, I had, I, I, I drove back from Ashburn. I, I, I pounded some Chick-fil-A. Nice. Uh, which was good. But like, you know, I, 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 the, was traffic. I ran in the door. I'm like, okay, I gotta hurry up and set up the podcast. And I don't know, somewhere in my head, I'm like, oh, there's a breath mint. Let me put that in. Don't know, who knows? Yeah, right. Okay, fine. Well, there's no never a time that's a bad time for fresh breath. And speaking of fresh breath, are are, are the C words actually gonna have new owners at the beginning of this season, Ben Standig? I mean, that's what we're you know that, that that's the word on the street. It's funny. I, I was in Minnesota for the um yes owners meeting the other day. Yes, yes, and then. Since then, it's been kind of quiet, which I'm okay with. They clearly have a lot to get through, a lot of vetting, this, that, and the other, and all the incremental news kind of drives me crazy. But yeah, I, I, I think, I think we're still heading in that direction. But I don't know when. I was going to ask you how, as a guy who's been a fan of this team, like, where are you at right now with this? Are you still like extra excited? Or are you kind of like, oh, let's go, let's go already? 
No, I I have very um, tempered enthusiasm, tempered expectations, because I honestly remain skeptical that the Harris group will be in charge sufficiently in time for it to matter for this upcoming season. I honestly think, you know, Ursay was was uh, urging some caution and in his own uh, press conferences and so forth about, you know, the the pace at which this thing is moving. Now, there's no doubt that the other owners are prepared for Harris and, and, and the extended group to take control of the thing. But, you know, he when he comes out and says, well, we, we have some questions <laughs> and some aspects of the financing need to be drilled down into a little bit further. Okay, clearly the NFL wants to get rid of Dan Snyder, and I'm sure that they will, you know, move the goalposts a, mi- a little bit to g- help Josh Harris get over the line. But they're not going to move it a lot because even though they want to get rid of Dan Snyder, they are still masters of the universe. And they seem to be making it pretty clear that the rules are, are, are there in terms of debt limit and the number of uh, limited partners. All these things are, are not going to be changed because this is what they've decided I wonder how much Josh Harris is looking at this. Like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna force this down their throat as best I can, knowing I've got them over a barrel because they want to get this guy out. And if Dan Snyder, if this falls apart, what are they gonna do? I, I don't know that that's the case on any level. We reported a little bit about some of that the other day, but I would that's the gamesmanship I would like to know about. Well, let me ask you this question: If Harris's tactic is, you know, take it or leave it, ultimately. Is the league is 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 Mr. Bezos is Jeff Bezos sitting on the sidelines, just waiting for this to to fall apart? And is he going to come in and get you know a price that's a hundred million dollars better than what the Harris Group is is putting on the table? Because we all know that that the JB can stroke the check. I mean, will will he take a check for five point nine? Will the NFL take a check for five point nine? as opposed to, well, this piece needs to come from this bank and that piece needs to come from that bank and this offshore account has this amount. I mean, that, 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 that's, that's why you ask the question and I say tempered enthusiasm, tempered expectations. It feels like there's still some chapters yet to go here, BS. Uh, well, I, I, I don't want to send it. You know, every time I, qu- I question any part of this deal, I feel I fear that I'm going to send somebody – if they're listening while driving like straight off the you know, over the bridge, <laughs> I, I think they're still going to get done. It is still a little bit weird. And this is where it becomes sort of, like I said, the question of when they keep, when, when the owners, when the other owners are talking about, you know, there's still some things to get done. How much of that is just normal stuff. And there's 17 or 21 partners and that type of deal. And it's a lot of people to vet, or is it actually, ah, there's made, there may be, Maybe some real concern here. I'm going to assume it's still positive and that we'll get done. You're right, though. I mean, not that I thought anything would change for this year, but I don't think I, I don't know if Josh Harris gets this done by week one. In my own head, I will consider that to be an accomplishment at this point. Um, hopefully, it gets done sooner. As somebody who has to cover this, I really hope it gets done before training camp. But yeah. we'll see about that. Yeah, I mean, I I I think. You know, the, the deal getting done coincident with the arrival of the season. We're already out of time in terms of the Harris group really being in a position 
to you know put their stamp on this upcoming season right there's no decision making between now and the beginning of the season in terms of the team president in terms of the the general manager in terms of the coach in terms of the actual players on the football field all of that is still going to be in the hands of the current regime which on balance i think i'm mostly fine with right like i don't have any real problem with with uh, Marty Mayhew, I don't really have a gigantic issue with Coach Rivera. I would like to know who the starting quarterback is going to be, but uh, you know, is there a big difference between Jacoby Brissett and Sam Howell? Eh, probably not. I mean, it still looks to be like an eight nine team, um, and and the the best case scenario is a nine and eight team, and the worst case scenario is a seven and ten team. So that's about where we're at. And, you know, there are, it doesn't feel like there's a ton uh, of wiggle room. Am, am I, if my expectations are too low, then please tell me. I'm, I, I would love to have a reason to be excited. I mean, it's hard to sit here and tell you that you're wrong. Like today, for example, you know, OTAs, uh, as Aaron Rodgers pointed out uh, in, in an article, of his interview with The Athletic today, a lot of these offseason programs are really sort of overhyped in terms of, how important they are to the success, you know, in 2020, they did, we, there were no OTAs and they somehow had a season. Um, the, uh, but I will say like, so today though, and, and in what we've seen so far, it was very much back to basics. It was like watching coaches talk to like high school kids about like, okay, here's where you need to line up here. Here's where you need to line up there. I'm talking about the offense in this case, obviously. And mm-hmm. the enemy is not afraid to tell them to, to run a play over and over and over again until he gets it right, which isn't to say that that's wrong or that suggests, oh my God, this is going to be a terrible season. It's to suggest that the normal hype of these things is like, wow, what a great play by so-and-so. I don't know we're going to get that any anytime soon. There were some good plays. Sam Howe made some nice throws. Cole Turner was a factor. Uh, I think Emmanuel Forbes has continued to look good. But it, just in terms of like, they're so at the basics right now, that's what their focus is, that I... I can't tell you that, wow, this looks like a 12-win team. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it, we're, I, hopefully we'll get there by training camp if that's if that's to be. But I, I think you're right. I mean, how, how could you not pick a team to go no better than 500 based on track record? Yeah, and the, the thing that's a little bit um, disappointing, and it's a small D disappointment, you know, it's not a gigantic disappointment because our expectations are properly managed in this transition mode. But, like, there is skill on the offensive side of the ball, and there is skill on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, we, we did just kind of re-rack the secondary, and it was clearly a focus of the draft, and most folks are not, like, giving us, giving the, the C-words a tremendous grade for their, for their draft acumen in the 2023 draft. But, you know, there was uh, positions of need in the secondary, and there was an effort to address that and and you know I, I honestly thought that offense last season was you know really built for for great things and uh we had the unfortunate circumstance of a quarterback that is now out of the league and will remain out of the league until somebody gets hurt you know in in, in the fall which is inevitable because it's the nfl and a guy that is uh the quintessential you know backup um, that is on a different team now. So shocker, the most important position on the team is quarterback. And we, there was very substandard play 
at quarterback. And so the Washington football team performed sort of, you know, within the, the band of expectation. Um, but there is skill on both sides of the ball. So if you could give me some level of confidence that the quarterback position in particular will be able to, you know, do anything uh, in, in, in terms of establishing some, some offensive, you know, mismatches, so, some, some advantages on offense, then I, I could be talked into 10 wins. It's not crazy. The skill is there, except I have no idea what's happening at the quarterback position. You know what I mean? I, I know very well what you mean. And, um, you know, again, it's one of the things that makes the decision to go with Sam Howe or at least put him in the QB1 status for now is because of that unknown factor and, you know, that he was a fifth-round pick and all the things we've all discussed. I mean, I will just say today I thought he looked – it was an up-and-down day, but the ups were pretty good. He's very accurate with the throws. He's got a good arm. Uh, you know, I think they do have some playmakers, like you said. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot of questions. And, uh, you know, that's why I wanted to ask somebody from out to, who's outside the – the bubble that I live in 24 seven to, to get the view uh, on, on that. I can't remember, by the way, were you a season ticket holder at any point or, or no? I've, I've never ever, um, you know, even in the Redskins days, I was able to leverage, you know, I, I grew up here in the area. So able to leverage family, friends, connections um, along the way. And, yeah, so I've never been a, a season ticket holder, but never any impediment to going to games that I wanted to go to. Well, I was going to ask, like, where are you at right now in terms of buying tickets to go to games? Obviously, there's a lot of reasons to not go to games. As somebody who I know, uh, you know, likes the dark arts of gambling, staying at home and watching the Red Zone channel and 10 games at once or whatever is something you can't do at a game. But nonetheless, it is fun to go to games, but people have been hesitant to do that, obviously, because of the Dan Snyder stuff. Does, it, does this situation change your view uh, of buying tickets uh, for this team, assuming Josh Harris owns it, you know, come come the start of the season? You know, maybe, and it would it would be like on, on an island game, except for we don't really have any of those. And by island game, I mean a Sunday night game, a Monday night game, a Thursday night game, where we're the only game so i'm not worried about you know what the rest of the nfl card is doing uh we don't have very many of those in the upcoming schedule ben the nfl took took a a peek at, at the situation was like you know this washington team we'll give them uh you know um a little this a little that but we're this is not a team that we intend to feature prime time but i agree that it's 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 fun to go and now uh, well, not now, eventually, in the absence of Snyder, then I will feel comfortable uh, about going again. I think there will be enthusiasm and, and excitement. And I do think that the Harris group will like immediately try and make the fan experience so much better, so much less cynical. Um, so I, I'm open to the idea. Uh, I just don't think we're going to have very many opportunities in this upcoming season. Um before we transition to the Wizards, you are a noted NBA talker. You're going to go on with your guy, Bill Simmons, uh, later today, I believe, according to source. True uh, story. True story. <laughs> true story. Uh, Josh Harris owns the Sixers. Yeah. Uh, he's actually made a bunch of interesting moves over the years. Recently, of course, he fires Doc Rivers. They just hired Nick Nurse. Uh, he's got Daryl Morey in there doing Daryl Morey things. And most notably, he greenlit the process which for an owner to do that, forget Sam Hinkie, 
it's just a theory for him. It is actually Josh Harris's money. And he's like, yes, I'm willing to do this thing, even though it will mean a decline in attendance and, 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 and us turning into a mockery around the league. Um, from the perspective of that thinker coming to own this team, what does any of that do for you? That, like, have you liked the general vibe of what Josh Harris does or what, he, or, or do you have concerns uh, about any of it? So uh, I have to confess, you know, what I have in my ears and in my head is my Philly basketball friends expressing great frustration at the results of this most recent season and ultimately blaming ownership for what they would, would, would you know, sort of claim is a, is a lack of, of a rudder that there it's a little bit rudderless in the sense that they, you know, the, the, the team um, isn't. And, and, and I think, you know, for, as an objective person down here in, in, in Washington, I think there's an other sides to all the arguments that my Philly friends, my beloved Philly fans who are absolute maniacs, all of the, the, the arguments they have about missteps by ownership. I mean, the, the, the biggest criticisms that I think really resonate are with um, personnel and it, there, there, there are two criticisms that I think really do sort of carry some water. The Brian Colangelo um, role as general manager, that guy ended up being not only somebody who set them back by making mistakes in the draft in in the top three picks, top four picks, top five picks, which is extraordinarily hard to overcome. If you make a mistake in the top five of the NBA draft and end up with players that, that, that aren't making um, significant contributions, it's really hard to overcome that. So Colangelo did that, but he also ended up being a clown. He ended up being a guy with his wife who was using a burner account to respond to criticisms of the team and, and its direction and the lack of stability that that clown behavior injects into the whole thing. It infuses, you know, from the top to the bottom in, in, you know, from an outsider perspective. And one of the criticisms that I hear pretty often of the Philly situation is a lack of accountability at the player level. And there is a lot of frustration from the Philly fans. When is Joel Embiid going to show up in shape for a basketball season? When is he going to show up and be ready to play? It's not like anybody needs him to play 82 games, but they want to see him like in, in what seems to be reasonable athletic shape, reasonably prepared, uh, you know, for a guy that with, with MVP kind of talent, they want him to be a kind of leader that he hasn't been thus far. And his performance in game six and in game seven against the Boston Celtics was not that of MVP caliber. So there is an overall frustration with what, you know, my, a lot of my beloved Philly friends say is a lack of accountability that's permeated the 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 way that the um, organizations behaved for some number of years and it gives me pause bs it gives me pause mr standing like i have we've seen lack of accountability here in washington with with uh, a number of our teams 
I don't like it. Uh, I'm ready for some accountability. I honestly think that might be the single best attribute that the new president of the Washington Wizards possesses. The stories that I hear about Michael Winger are he does indeed actually demand some, some accountability and he's not afraid to, you know, have sharp elbows where it's, where it's called for. But as it relates to Josh Harris as the new owner of the Washington football team and who might ultimately be the team president, who ultimately might be the general uh, uh, manager, it needs to be we, – we need some accountability. Uh, I think that's a in, very important attribute, and it remains to be seen. The Philly uh, track record doesn't really – you know, cast an enormous, uh, you know, a very bright glow on, on, on that particular aspect of his ownership. I hear you. The, the accountability part is interesting. And I do wonder, you know, in the context of NBA versus NFL, we all know, right. The NBA is definitely much more of a player's league. The yes. coaches have almost very little power unless you're the elite, you know, Greg Popovich kind of guy. Uh, so it is hard. I and mean, we see this with the wizards, right back you know, Ted Leontis really kind of like, you know, let John wall get away with a lot. He gives Bradley Beal a trade exception, uh, uh, uh no trade, clause. Uh, uh, no trade clause, you know, uh, for no reason other than seemingly just to keep him happy or whatever. So, um, I mean, good for Bradley Beal's agent to have gotten that, but yeah. So I do wonder if there's a little bit of difference there. Uh, the one thing I've thought about, and, and and this will start us towards the, talking about the Wizards is I get that Daryl Morey is considered to be, you know, one of the better GMs. And certainly he's on the forefront of all the analytics movement in this country. But the thing I've never liked about his, his uh, roster building is that he is willing to just sort of figure out what's the best asset I can acquire regardless of how it is a fit for the team. And like, I think James Harden's a good example of this. He's obviously a very good player, but you know, there's a lot of questions about how does he fit uh, in the playoffs? Is he going to step up? And and then when you pair him with Joel Embiid, who, like you said, to this point in his career has not had some better some of the better moments in those clutch spots. I, I it doesn't feel like there's an identity there, other than to say they have Joel Embiid and James Harden for now. I don't know what they are. They just have good players. I don't know what that they do specifically. Whereas, like say the Miami Heat. They, you know, the heat culture thing, uh, you know, sign me up for that sign. I, I guarantee we, if we gave all GMs in sports, some so, sort of sodium pentothal, they would love the heat culture in the sense that the, it is not only do they have a strong mentality, uh, you know, for, uh, that they require that, that their players, when they come in, have to have, but they are so good at identifying guys who will fit what they are trying to do. They don't have to have the best players. They need a shooter, they go get this guy. They need a two-way guy, they go get this guy. Like they they get people for what they need to do. And I think in terms of the Wizards, right? This has been one of their problems. Just just let's look at the Tommy Shepard era. I pointed this out. Like Rui Hachimura, right? I, I'm not upset that they traded him. Yeah, I don't me, I me either. I, I wouldn't have. I think they could have gotten more, and maybe I wouldn't even have moved them for that. But okay. But when they drafted him in 2019 to hopefully be one of their you know cornerstone pieces. Okay, but then the next year they draft Denny Avdia, who isn't the same player, but occupies sort of the same role, minutes, what have you. Then, because they do the Westbrook trade, they go get Kyle Kuzma. Good, but now yeah. it's another player who's in Rui's way. Then they make another deal for Bertans, right? 
and they get Christoph Porzingis, again, a good player. But now you have all these pieces on the court for this guy that you were about to build around to some degree. And I didn't even mention the Daniel Gafford trade. And this is sort of what I what I'm talking about, like that you've got to have a plan at some point. Like, what are we actually trying to accomplish? And that's what I'm interested in with this Michael Winger guy. Because he seems like he's coming in not as an NBA talent scout. He's coming in as an organizer. Mm-hmm. And does he come up with the plan? Here's what we need to do and how we will do it. That's what I'm intrigued by here. Everybody I've talked to seems to be pretty enthusiastic about this. And I don't mean Wizards people. I mean people around the league that yeah. I think it's a good a good hire. Yeah. Um, are, are you at all surprised that this is the route that that Ted went down? Because uh, I don't know what I was expecting other than him saying somebody outside the organization. Um, but I wasn't totally expecting this, I guess. Yeah, and I wasn't expecting Winger either. But, you know, some of that is a function of you and I not, like, operating in that space where, you know, who are the names that are available, who might be open to solicitation. And, you know, Winger um, was pursued by Minnesota a couple of years ago. He's one of the highest paid second in commands in the entire league. He was making between five and six million dollars a year from Steve Ballmer as a, you know, second in command, third in command kind of guy. So that all by itself, you know, to, to me, speaks well of 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 his acumen and how it's thought of in in another context but right so uh the josh harris um concern that you voiced is with a person that's that's got that private equity background and might have an inclination to just sort of collect assets and let those assets you know sort of fall wherever they're going to fall and that that would be a concern with Washington football team. Although I think your point is right. that football and basketball are kind of different animals. So it's, it's very hard to extrapolate from the Sixers situation and try and fill in blanks as it relates to the Washington football team. But in terms of winger and what kind of imprint he might make on the, on the Washington basketball team, kind of right away it the stories that i've read and this is, has been you know sort of validated with the folks that i've talked to um that have you know some understanding of winger and, and, and even you know some relationship with him is that um he's not afraid to do outside the box things he's not afraid to um you know take a swing at at, at, at big things and you know the the big things that are staring Washington in the face are the Bradley Beal contract where Ugh. we're never, ever going to get, you know, the, the value of that contract out of that particular player. You and I have, have um, done an ad nauseum job of, you know, criticizing the contract as it relates to the contribution from that player. He's played 90 games in two seasons. He has numbers that are perfectly fine. He doesn't move the needle in terms of advancing the team's interest towards actually making the playoffs and then performing well in the playoffs. Um, By the way, I had to enter concussion protocol the other day because when when the reports came out that uh, Ted was now willing to look at a rebuild one year after giving Beal the no trade clause and all the money. I I, I just, I, I, I think I just lost it for a few minutes. I was like, what, what now? 
great now you've lost all value but yeah let's do it now anyway yeah, continue. It, it's fine um <laughs> but and, and then you have valuable assets in both porzingis and kuzma who had you know for them career years last year they both were very good um just not in the washington context guys that are going to help the washington team perform particularly well make it to the playoffs do well in the playoffs but they they each have value so you could fetch something in return and i honestly think you know i i I can't remember which of the shows that i went on and said this but my you know first inclination if i was in winger seat would be trade bad brad beal sign and trade kyle kuzma sign and trade um christoph porzingis and let's go ahead and see what we can do now we missed out on this most recent draft, uh, tantalizingly so. Apparently, Ben Standing, the the lottery was so close, the ping pong balls were almost in our favor. Except it's literally a lottery, and it's literally the functional equivalent of gambling. And lots of times, you lose bets that feel like they're very, very close to being winning bets. Except for that's why it's gambling, and that's why it is a lottery. And you don't win most of the time. Most of the time, you get the outcome you deserve, right? I wonder if SVP did a bad beat segment on that because that clearly, like you're saying, that that is an ultimate bad beat. You're except on the for door. it's the beat. It's not even that. It doesn't feel yeah. that bad. We got the spot that was in alignment with the, the number of ping pong balls we had. It just was this extraordinary circumstance where the, the ping pong balls could have been in alignment in a, in a different direction, but uh, having missed out on, you know, what, what could have been um, a real franchise altering draft pick. And, you know, there is still some uh, opportunity. Like I kind of think Portland's pick at number three should be in a conversation, should be something that, that that's, you know, um, interesting to the Washington franchise. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I think other teams will be competing for it, but uh, you know, there, there's lots of ways now, especially in view of the upcoming um, collective bargaining agreement and, and the arrival of that and what it does in terms of greatly um, restricting, diminishing teams from, from building with, with three, super expensive players you can have two super expensive players but then that that's kind of it in in the face of the the arrival of that cba you know getting a a a collection of of younger guys and seeing who they are and you know sort of uh uh rebuilding at this moment feels right to me that feels like the you know the oklahoma city is not a terrible blueprint from my my humble perspective yeah, no, I, I'm 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 with you uh on that. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see what they do. Uh, it, the the Beal the Beal stuff is it's gonna murder me whenever they trade in for 30 cents <laughs> on the dollar. But um yeah, I mean it seems like they may almost have no choice but to do that. I want to ask you about the NBA finals, but just quickly before I let you go, uh or get to that before I let you go. They still now apparently want to hire a GM, and it's very confusing these titles. Technically, the person who has Winger's job is the GM in this in the historical sense that we discuss it, but they call that now the president of operations. And then the second person is the GM. 
But what's weird here is that it doesn't appear that if they're if what I'm hearing is right, that they're going to he's going to be not picking the players, he's sort of making the plan, and then they'll pick the players, which means the second person who wouldn't be hired as a true GM by another team will be having that role. I what? I, I don't understand this. Well, that's confusing. Uh I I, I share your confusion, but um I, 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 we don't really have a choice but to say, you know, we, 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 we trust that the roles will be properly defined well enough for whoever takes on the general manager job to understand well enough whatever it is that he or she is being asked to do in terms of identifying talent and building a plan and that he or she will be prepared to work in lockstep with whatever vision Mr. Winger has. That that's I I can't I don't think we can do any better than that. I hope hope for the best. Look, at least it's outside the Grunfeld Shepherd, same thing. So at least it's different. Yes. We'll see what happens. Yes. Yes. All right. Uh quickly because I know you got to go. NBA finals prediction. And since you're Mr. Gambler, any gambling angle that you like in this series. Yeah. So I think the Miami culture run, which has been enormously impressive, like, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a one of one, only the Miami heat feel like they could have pulled off the run that they've gone on and really only in the Eastern conference. You know, I think that the Los Angeles Clippers had sort of designs on doing what it is that Miami did, which is make it to the playoffs in whatever shape you can make it. And then, you know, really sort of um, come together uh, for, for, a, for a decent playoff run. Um, and so I am very impressed by Heat culture. I'm very impressed by what they've done with the undrafted guys. This is it. This is when the, the, they have to. So I think this is the moment where the chickens come home to roost for the Miami Heat because the Denver Nuggets are not like any other team in the NBA. And they showed us a version of themselves over the regular season with Nikola uh, Jokic with a very unique challenge for the rest of the NBA. And then they doubled down on it in the playoffs. They've only lost three playoff games. They've lost no games at home. Uh, the Joker is averaging a triple-double. And there are no answers in the NBA for the Joker. And Denver has shown us repeatedly that they can win multiple ways. They can win by making a bunch of threes. They can win uh, by playing at a fast pace. They can win by playing at a slow pace. They can win games where the, where the, the two teams don't, neither team scores 100 points. They can win by going inside. And it all runs through the singular unique talent of Nikola Jokic, the true MVP of the league. And so um, Miami is about to meet its fate at, 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 the, at the feet of the Joker, but it's not a knock on the heat to say that, you know, it's an incredible, incredible run. All kudos to them. I have bet on, and you can do this on FanDuel right now if you'd like, um, the, the the Denver Nuggets to win by at least one and a half games. So if they win four to two or four to one, 
you get the return on that, I think is minus 134 right now, not an insane amount of juice. And then I speculated a little bit in the MVP market because I do think there is a reasonable um, possibility that Miami really works super hard to get the ball out of the Joker's hands. And so for the MVP, he could average, he could have 10 rebounds and 10 assists and 12 points, but Jamal Murray might go off for 35 points a game over five games. And then I think Jamal Murray would have a reasonable claim for the, for the MVP. Cause he's really, he, he would end up being the true offensive catalyst. And under those circumstances, he's available. I think at like 12 to one as the uh, finals MVP that to me, double digit odds catch my attention. And, and that would, to me, seems like a fairly reasonable, you know, you, you have to like hold your nose because Jokic is the prohibitive favorite. And you know the, the folks that vote for these things like to give those awards to the best player on the on the team that wins. All very reasonable. But I yeah. like just, you know, speculating a little bit. I think there's a, a case to be made for Jamal Murray. Uh, I like it. I like it. Uh the the the, Miami, the the voters for the Eastern Conference Finals giving it to Jimmy Butler over Caleb Martin, arguably right. sort of in the line of what you're talking about. Yes. All right, he, he's got to go. He's at House from DC on Twitter. Go listen to him his podcast, the Fairway Rolling Podcast, also on the Ringer Gambling Show, and of course he's on with Simmons uh, all the time. Uh, my guy, I appreciate it. We'll we'll have to talk more about the Wizards and their fate uh, off- offline so we can both uh, vent <laughs> freely. But uh, I, I'm more interested in the football team. I think the oh, football team might be good. We'll do you that know? too. It's we'll possible. Too. There's no reason they, they can't be good. You know what I mean? Why, why, why not them? Why um, not them? Why Let's not do them? it? All right, man. I appreciate it. Go do your other podcasting and uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks, Ben. Always a pleasure. Anytime you call, I say yes. Uh, that's what I like to hear. <laughs> All right, that was oh, oh, it's always fun to talk about the Wizards with somebody who cares enough uh, to 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 get into it. And there's a, there's tons more we could get into. The fact that, from what I sense, is that it's not just the Wizards because the job that that Michael Winger has is overseeing the Wizards and the Go Go, which is you know obviously the minor league system, so it goes hand in hand. But also the Mystics is. That, that that is a, an apparent important point to all this because winger is not a guy that hits the road. He's not out there on pro days or going to college games or to the combine. Like he's a guy that works in his office and crunches the numbers and does whatever he's doing to help come up with the plans. But other people are out on the road. And that also means he can help deal with the mystics and don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking the mystics, but in terms of the wizards, I don't know. Do you want somebody who's in charge to be spending any time focusing on anything else other than the Wizards on down? Don't know, but that's the plan that they have come up with here. So we'll see who they hire to be wingers number two, or maybe it's going to be this person who's sort of legit in charge of the Wizards, which, again, seems kind of weird to me because that person would presumably not be getting the the top job anywhere else because that's how this would go. In any event, enough about that. Uh, big thanks to Joe House for his time. Thanks also to Pete Haley and Matt Paris for joining me on the sidelines, uh, talking about this team while practice was going on. And of course, thanks to everyone here for, as always, checking out the podcast. Make sure you check out The Athletic as well. And if you haven't subscribed yet, 
would be awesome if you thought about doing so. Uh, but that is it for now. Ben Standick signing off. Until next time, see ya.